Perhaps it could be argued that the English monarchy is nothing but an effectively powerless figurehead and that, therefore, his or her words are of little consequence. The real power resides with Parliament, not with the monarch. Not so, I would reply, or at least not necessarily so. And, and Pierce says, I honestly cannot remember the last time that I felt inspired to praise a mainstream politician in anything but a half-hearted manner. To be sure, were I from Hungary, I'd be enthusiastic in my support of Wiktor Orban, that country's forthright and generally sagacious head of state. From a global perspective, however, the prime minister of a nation of around 10 million people, sandwiched between Austria and Romania, is not destined to turn the tide of globalism for all his valiant swimming against it. By the way, in the, in the six years since Joseph wrote this, Viktor Orban has not changed those stripes that Pierce is, is L-A-U-D lo, uh, 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 loading here, louding here. As a matter of fact, Viktor Orban actually acts like practicing the faith as a politician in public matters. I, 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 we'll talk more about that later. Imagine my surprise, therefore, when a head of state of one of the world's most major powers spoke with a wisdom that is all too rare. The words of wisdom were delivered in a speech broadcast on Christmas Day, which was filled to the brim with good things, what might be called, considering its timing, tidings of comfort and joy. Here are a few uh, gleanings from the heartwarming and edifying address. Quote, I often draw strength from meeting ordinary people during doing extraordinary things. Volunteers, carers, community organizers, and good neighbors. Unsung heroes whose quiet dedication makes them special. They're an inspiration to those who know them and their lives frequently embody a truth expressed by Mother Teresa from this year, St. Teresa of Calcutta. She once said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Can this be true? Can a head of state of a major world power speak with what appears to be genuine humility about the sacrifices of ordinary people, even quoting Mother Teresa for good measure. Well, yes, indeed. And more to the point, gets even better. Quote, but even with the inspiration of others, it's understandable that we sometimes think the world's problems are so big that we can do little to help. On our own, we cannot end wars or wipe out injustice, but the cumulative impact of thousands of small acts of goodness can be bigger than we imagine. Close quote. Can we really believe that the head of state of one of the most powerful countries in the world is extolling the principle of subsidiarity? The principle that individuals, families, local communities, and charities and churches can chain society for the better, whereas big and burdensome governments tend to make the big problems even bigger. There was, for instance, no suggestion that the world should be changed by, get, by giving even more power to globalist monstrosities, such as the UN or the European Union. Absolutely not. The head of state seems to insist 
that the world needs to be changed locally at the grassroots level by little acts of love by individuals serving their local communities. This, by the by, is completely in line with when I put when I wrote, wrote and talked about yesterday, when I when I wrote about on my thekingdude.substack.com and here on this live radio broadcast. You can't change the hulking ship of state that the Biden regime, the European Union, NATO, and yes, Charles III and the, and the British Empire are running. You can't. It is a giant super tanker stuck in the middle of the Suez Canal. It has nowhere to go but forward. Inertia is going to carry it, unfortunately, to its ill-conceived and diabolical ends. This much is true. But you can change... 555 Main Street, Azusa, USA. Better charge planes. Who lives in 555 Main Street? Come on, man, figure it out. I'm not going to explain that. <laughs> 555 Main Street, Azusa, A-Z, Azusa, USA. Who lives there? Well, the Jones family. Mitter and Mitters Jones, or Smith, or Doe. Now, in that little kingdom there, all this stuff can change. The dad can be a holy king. He could try to be. The mom could be a holy queen. She could try to be. Maybe even... Looking out for the holiness of the children. Gosh, what a novel idea. Yeah, but novel people, holy people are boring. <laughs> that's what the, 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 that's what the cynics would say. Yeah, but they're boring. Well, may, maybe what you call excitement is actually sin. <laughs> and what you call boring is actually virtue. Hmm? Maybe. So Pierce continues, and I believe he's talking about uh, uh, Victor Orban here. <clears throat> Where on earth can this political leader be getting the inspiration for such, for such a sound political philosophy? The answer is in the following sentences from the speech itself. Now remember, my theme today is why monarchy should matter to Americans, especially Catholic Americans. And yes, to evangelical and Protestant Americans, Christians, it should matter. Why? Well, maybe we should listen a little more. Listen more hashtag Social media less. Quote, at Christmas, our attention is drawn to the birth of a baby some 2,000 years ago. It was the humblest of beginnings. Jesus Christ lived obscurely for most of his life and never traveled far. 
He was maligned and rejected by many, though he had done no wrong. And yet, billions of people now follow his teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them because Christ's example helps me to see the value of doing small things with great love. The message of Christmas reminds us that inspiration is a gift to be given as well as received, and that love begins small but always grows. I wish you all a very happy Christmas. Hearing these words, wrote Master Pierce, I felt a glow in my heart, not merely because of their goodness and truth, but because they were uttered by the head of state of my own, my very own native land. I'm not referring to British Prime Minister Theresa May. Oh, see, gotcha. It wasn't Victor Orban. He mentioned Victor Orban, but then Pierce drops the bomb, which you just heard was spoken by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, who said the aforementioned words in her annual Christmas address to the nation and the commonwealth. My heart warmed to hear a Christian ruler of an ostensibly Christian nation confess her Christian faith so unabashedly. In spite of the atmosphere of knee-jerk political correctness that pervades British culture, I was also encouraged by the smallest beautiful political philosophy of her words which were certainly subsidiarist, at least implicitly, if not necessarily explicitly. Explicitly. Perhaps it could be argued that the queen is nothing but an effective, powerless figurehead, and that therefore her words are of little consequence. The real power resides with Parliament, not the monarch. Not so, I would reply. The fact that the queen can influence events in a powerful and perhaps a decisive way was illustrated by her tacit intervention in the Brexit campaign, in which her support for British withdrawal from the tyranny of the U European Union was evident. We have all this, like, evidence. It is true that Her Majesty has generally chosen to remain aloof and distant from politics, but the potential power that she and her successors hold is still immense. According to the royal prerogative, which she still possesses, the reigning, or she did possess, the reigning monarch has the right to veto parliamentary bills, which she still possesses. The reigning monarch has the right to uh, withholding royal assent so that they cannot become British law. And yes, there are bills that you wish Elizabeth II had vetoed. I don't know how many, <clears throat> but yeah, there's bills. She should have vetoed them. She could have vetoed them. Note, though, that this is in the absence of a veto. She lets the parliament pretty much do the parliament and act, acting all parliamenty -y -y and stuff. How can, we, how can a believer in democracy countenance the political power of a monarch? These are good questions to be sure, which go to the paradoxical nature of the British Constitution and the philosophical heart of the nature of monarchy itself. They should, therefore, be answered. I would argue 
as a believer in both democracy and monarchy, that the two can coexist, and furthermore, that they do coexist in the present Constitution of the U.K. What is more, I would even go so far as to argue that an increased involvement by monarchy or by the monarchy in the political affairs of the nation would actually make the, the U.K. an even more democratic nation. By the by, if any one of these Windsors are going to do this, it'll probably be Charles. As I said before, and this is me speaking now, not Joseph, as Mr. Barrett and I talked about yesterday. Uh, Joseph sends his regrets, wishes as well, but he can't make it. He's, he said, I'm about to board a plane, otherwise I would. So Master Pierce is out for today. Charles goes to the World Economic Forum meetings in Davos. He goes to all the stupid climate summits that they have in Monaco. He goes to the stupid climate summits that they had in Rio. So, and yes, he, he is a, you can say that what the people like Fiorella and Sarah and KV. Turley and, our, and Jill Clovis and his family are about to endure in the dark winter. Yeah, Charles was in on it. That, now, that's a matter of public record. Maybe no now, but he wasn't responsible for it. Do you see the disconnect here? Because he was just, he was the queen's son. He didn't have any authority. He didn't have any power. He couldn't veto anything. He couldn't propose anything. Well, I suppose he could, but... <clears throat> he could lobby, he could throw his royal, use his royal bully pulpit to promote and do this stuff. But now that he's actually responsible, let's see what he does. Instead of bashing the guy, we should all be praying that he converts, then he becomes the first Catholic king, monarch, since James the first, or is it James the second? My history of British monarchy is it, it's crap. It stinks. I'll, I'll admit it, but I believe it was James because Mary and then <clears throat> then James and then that's it. No more. Imagine what a Catholic prince or King Charles the third could do. If he truly had a conversion event. Now, now, things have changed. It's not mum who now has power and authority as the monarch. It's you, Charles. This is on you. If those people suffer this winter, if some of them may die, if they do, that's on you. That, that is a heavy burden. It's easy to sit there at conferences where you're talking about eating crickets and banning meat and what have you and driving green cars. It's easy to do that when you're just sitting back and then you return to the lap of luxury, the most luxurious life in the world. It's easy to do that. But when you actually are now responsible for 
foisting that upon the heads of your 80 million subjects? That's just the ones in the UK. Now it's on you. You will stand judgment for that. Just like Elizabeth will stand judgment for her failure to veto bills, things that she should have vetoed or could have vetoed as a Christian monarch. 